Welcome everyone to the Hikes Peak Podcast. Thank you for coming back to the mountain. The college football season is in full swing. Week one was full of surprises from Mikey Keene and Fresno State lighting up Purdue to Wyoming's late night upset of Texas Tech all the way to the season opening duds from Boise State and Colorado State. We'll talk about every game from week one. Then we'll go over the Mountain West teams playing in week two, complete with my analysis and predictions. Of course we'll hand out our hikes peak week one mvp there's lots to cover so let's get into it we'll start with the friday night game which was stanford visiting hawaii at the tc ching complex and stanford just looked like the better team all around the passing game for hawaii was again solid definitely the highlight of the night but they just had so many ill-timed penalties it just kept the cardinal drives going all night long two of the biggest of those penalties ended up being targeting calls that got got guys tossed. Becky Pay was ejected in the first half, and then Isaiah Tufaga got ejected in the second half, and he's going to miss the first half against Albany. And then to make matters worse, Cam Stone did get hurt on a fourth quarter kick return, so not exactly sure what's going to be going on with him next week. Yeah, the Rainbow Warriors offense was very good. I mean, Shager had another 350 plus yard performance, three touchdowns, 30 of 53 overall, so just was throwing the ball all game and was pretty solid. Fele Ashlock had another amazing game with eight catches, 114 yards, and two touchdowns, which all led the team. Logan Taylor, the linebacker, also had a pretty solid game with nine tackles and two tackles for loss. But overall, nothing hurt Hawaii more than their just lack of a run game. They finished with negative five rushing yards, and their biggest run of the night was from Solo Vipulu, the offensive lineman who they were using as a sub-package guy at where the running back would be standing to get some extra protection for Braden Shager. Cardinal Pass game, which I certainly didn't give a lot of credit to last week. I must eat my words. Ashton Daniels and the Cardinal offense were much better than expected. The secondary just didn't make the big plays that I expected them to. Overall, I don't think this dampens the outlook for Hawaii's season. I think that this is going to be a team that could push for about four or five wins. Two power five losses that are within two possessions. You can't be too mad at that, but these were actually games that they really could have realistically came away with wins and coming up 0 and two out of that. While there are things to look forward to and things to get excited about, it would have been really nice to get a couple of wins there. Next, the biggest matchup of the weekend was certainly Boise State going to Seattle to play number 10 Washington, visiting Michael Penix Jr. and his array of weapons. Broncos had a 9-7 early lead in the second quarter, but after that, they just got absolutely knocked out by Michael Penix Jr., who finished with a ridiculous 450 passing yards and five touchdowns and his multiple elite weapons just really were too much for the secondary of the Broncos to handle. They just had no answer. Romeo Dunze had 132 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Polk had three catches, 101 yards and a touchdown. And then Jalen McMillan had eight catches, 95 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown that he got out of the Wildcat. Boise State was down 28-12 to at halftime. They scored on their opening drive of the third quarter, cutting the lead to nine, which, you know, maybe was the spark you were hoping for, but they had nothing after that. The secondary just got torched for the rest of the game, really had no answer. It seemed like every play was a 10-yard completion at minimum. And the run game, which just wasn't as effective as it needed to be, George Halani did get banged up in this game. He came back after leaving in the first quarter. The run game just wasn't as dominant as you would hope it could be. Taylor Green wasn't too much of a factor on the ground, only 31 rushing yards, and GT only had 44 rushing 
rushing yards and a touchdown, but he also had 109 receiving yards and a touchdown in the receiving department. Taylor Green and the entire Broncos team, for that matter, just looked kind of shell-shocked. Taylor finished 19 of 39, 244 passing yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. So really just wasn't the kind of game you would hope to see from Taylor Green. You hope that this offseason would show a lot of progression from the passing side of the game, but just wasn't the case. It should also be taken into account that this Washington team is pretty incredible. They're going to be threatening for a playoff spot. So it's certainly a possibility that Boise State just kind of got punched in the mouth with this being the best team on their schedule by far. They'll rebound from here. And this was just a kind of blip. Final score was 56 to 19. Boise State going to need to get ready for their matchup with UCF, who isn't as good of a team as Washington, but still a very talented roster. Broncos hoping to avoid their first 0-2 start since 2005. Next game, we'll go over Utah State going into Kinnick Stadium to play number 25, Iowa, who is a 24-point favorite. It was an absolute slugfest. Ended up finishing at 24-14 for Iowa, but Utah State really held their own. They gave up two early passing touchdowns, but honestly played better than Iowa for the rest of the game. They just couldn't hit any home runs offensively on the defensive end. They couldn't force any turnovers, so just didn't make enough big plays to get the upset, but still a very admirable effort. What really hurt the Aggies was not being able to get enough pressure on Cade McNamara, who was a little bit banged up, but they just couldn't make him move enough for him to make some mistakes. The run game really struggled, which was certainly a factor in them not being able to get into the end zone until about one minute before the end of the game. Cooper Legon was fine. He had 32 of 48, 213 yards, a touchdown and a pick. While the running game did struggle, Rashul Faison, the Juco transfer, had a very solid day. He had 59 rushing yards and 22 receiving yards just on seven carries. He's the guy that I would expect to have a big season this year. Terrell Vaughn was very involved in the offense. 12 catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown, which all led the team. And middle linebacker MJ Tafisi also had a very solid game with 12 tackles and three tackles for loss. This wasn't a game that anyone really expected the Aggies to be able to win, but still a very impressive effort. And I think that, especially on the defensive end, there's a lot of things to be excited about going into the rest of the season for Utah State and Blake Anderson. Next up, we have Fresno State going into West Lafayette to play Purdue. And this was one of the most surprising performances of the day with just how incredible that offense looked. Mikey Keene was absolutely phenomenal. He had over 350 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Honestly looked a lot like Jake Hayner out there. And Eric Brooks was just incredible. We talked to him at media days. He was one of the leaders of that wide receiver room that was replacing their top four pass catchers. And that was one of the big concerns coming into this season. But Eric Brooks was just incredible. He had nine catches, 170 yards and two touchdowns, including the game winning 22 yard touchdown with 59 seconds to play. While the defense certainly didn't look as good as we had expected them to throughout the offseason, they still played pretty solid, just weren't able to force any turnovers. They gave up two very big touchdowns. The first big play of the game was an 84-yard touchdown from Deion Burks with about 11 minutes in the first quarter, and then they also gave up a kick return touchdown at the start of the third quarter. But other than that, Fresno State's defense really did play solid, and they buckled up when they had to. Another big concern coming into this game was how the run game would look. There wasn't a clear running back one, and Elijah Gilliam has really seized that role. He had 20 carries and 93 rushing yards and also had 14 receiving yards. Just all around a banner day for that offense and Jeff Tedford. And when I talk 
talk about the big plays that the defense made when they had to. None of them was bigger than what Lavelle Bailey did. On fourth down with 31 seconds to play, Hudson Card dropped back, tried to pick up the first down, but Lavelle Bailey dropped back from his blitz, knocked it down with one hand, and ended the game right there. He also had five tackles and a half of a tackle for loss. Just a phenomenal win for Fresno State, their first Big Ten win since 2013, their first road Big Ten win since 2009. At this point, it's not hyperbole to say that Fresno State may be the best-looking team in the Mountain West. Next up, Air Force opened the season against FCS Robert Morris, and they took care of business. They were up 28-0 at the half, and one thing we actually figured out is that Zach Lariat is the QB1 of this team, and he was very good in that role. We had expected that it was going to be Ben Britton or maybe someone else. It ended up being Larrier as the starting quarterback, and he had 95 passing yards and a touchdown, and also led the team with 99 rushing yards and two touchdowns. John Lee Eldridge had four carries and 72 yards. 15 different players ended up carrying the ball, so a classic Air Force win for them, and the defense played very well. P.J. Ramsey had two and a half tackles for loss and a sack. A pretty typical Air Force performance. We'll learn more about them next week when they play Sam Houston State, but for now, a very solid win. Next, we had the first game of the Barry Odom era UNLV taking on the Bryant Bulldogs, and they really had no problem taking care of business from the first snap. They had it in hand. Vincent Davis, the pit transfer, had a 69-yard touchdown on the first play from scrimmage. They were up 27-0 before Bryant could even respond, and Doug Brumfield barely had to throw the ball. They only had 126 passing yards in total. Brumfield only had 86, and they ran the ball with ease over 280 rushing yards and 7.1 yards per carry across the entire game. Brumfield didn't have to do too much. He did throw an interception, but he also had 71 rushing yards and a touchdown. Jet Thomas, a true freshman, had a very good day with eight carries, 60 rushing yards, and two touchdowns. Jacob DeJesus had 50 receiving yards, but also had a 96-yard kick return. His average kick return was 52.7, which is just ridiculous. One more guy I want to shout out is Juco transfer Thomas Anderson, who had eight tackles, which was second on the team, a deflection, and an interception. So a great season opening performance for the Rebels, and we'll see what they do next week with a much tougher test going into the big house to play Michigan. Next, we had Ken Wilson and Nevada taking on the Heisman favorite in Caleb Williams and number six USC, and the Wolfpack actually had it tied at seven early, but the inevitable did take place after that. USC scored the next 45 points, including five touchdowns from Caleb Williams. The defense just had no answer. They gave up 668 total yards and 10.8 yards per carry. And besides the early touchdown, the offense really didn't play too well. They only had 1.3 yards per carry. Brendan Lewis really struggled to move the ball, but A.J. Bianco came in for the last three drives and actually was pretty solid at 129 passing yards and a touchdown. Brendan Lewis finished with about 180 yards and two fumbles. A couple of guys had some very good performances. Senior Jamal Bell had eight catches, 120 receiving yards and a touchdown, which all led the team. Linebacker Naki Mitialona had six tackles and a sack. This definitely wasn't a game that anybody expected the Wolfpack to win, but they certainly could have put up more of a fight. But all in all, it's kind of a wash. We'll see what they do next week against Idaho. Next up, we have New Mexico in their season opener taking on number 23 Texas A&M in College Station, and they were down 14 to 7 in the second quarter, so they kept it close for a bit, but they got rolled from there. They were down 35-7 at halftime. The offense simply just looked outmatched. They were only able to muster 
131 passing yards, 2.8 yards per carry, 222 total yards. It just looked a lot like the offense from last year, which was historically bad. Some guys on defense had some solid games. Tavion Combs had 11 tackles and a deflection. Dante Martin had a tackle for loss and two deflections. But the lack of offense was certainly the story in this one. Dylan Hopkins, 15 of 24, 115 passing yards and an interception. Ja'Cory Krosky-Merritt had the best offensive day of anyone with 11 carries, 50 rushing yards, and a touchdown. The Aggies have a better defense than the Lobos will probably face for the rest of the year, so at least there's that. Just wasn't too much of a confidence-building day for the Lobos and Danny Gonzalez. Next up, we had Jay Norvell and Colorado State opening up the season with Washington State coming to Fort Collins. This was a real chance for the Rams to make a statement about their development, show that they're not the team that went 3-9 and nine last year and couldn't put up above 20 points, but the game just didn't go the way they hoped it would. They had a 3-0 lead early, but they were down 17-3 at halftime. Ended up being down 36-3 at the start of the fourth quarter. On the defensive side, they got some decent pressure on quarterback Cam Ward. They had three sacks and two forced fumbles, but they just couldn't contain his playmaking abilities. He sliced and diced the Rams' defense with ease, throwing for a career-high 451 passing yards. They had eight different plays of 20-plus yards. Now, on the offensive side, there was a lot of problems. The run game was a non-factor, just 37 rushing yards and 1.9 yards per carry. Clay Millen just didn't have it. He got banged up after his 110 yards and a pick six, and he got benched for Braden Fowler Nicolosi, who actually played pretty solid. 13 for 20, 210 passing yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Fowler Nicolosi certainly played well enough for there to potentially be a QB battle going into their week three matchup with Colorado and Deion Sanders. Justice Ross Simmons had a very good game, five catches, 123 receiving yards, and a touchdown, which was a 75-yarder. Torrey Horton finished with nine catches and 81 receiving yards, but he only had two catches in the first half, which was a glaring issue for that offense. They're going to need to get him involved all game long if they're going to rack up some wins. A couple of guys on the defensive end had some good games. Both safeties racked up tackles. Jack Howell had 16. Henry Blackburn had 14 tackles and two tackles for loss. Mohamed Kamara had a strip sack, but overall it was just an incredibly disappointing day for this team. If they could have came away with the win, this would be a landmark moment for how far Norvell has taken this team, but for now, they're kind of exactly where they were at the end of last season. Next up, we have the most shocking result of the night, which was Wyoming taking on Texas Tech in Laramie. Let's talk about how this happened. It was a rough start with Texas Tech going up 17-0 in the first quarter. There were also two Cowboys fumbles, but Wyoming took control from there. The defense wouldn't give up any points until the very end of the fourth quarter, and the offense slowly clawed back. It was 17-10 at halftime, and Wyoming took a 20-17 lead with nine minutes to play. In overtime, both teams traded touchdowns. Texas Tech scored a touchdown in double overtime, but failed the two-point conversion, leaving the door open for Wyoming, but it wasn't looking good. It was fourth and seven game on the line. Tech sends eight guys at Andrew Peasley. Two players completely unblocked coming right at him, and he throws an absolute dime to John Michael Gillenborg as he gets drilled, tying the game at 33. Peasley then audible to a handoff to Sam Scott on the two-point attempt, who, by the way, is their running back five on the depth chart before injuries. He walks into the end zone to seal the upset. The Cowboy faithful rush the field in the words of the hero Andrew Peasley. The game plan was to take them to the deep end. They will fold, which is exactly what Craig Bowles scored.
squad did. Teasley, the hero, with one of the gutsiest performances you will ever see. 18 of 34, 149 passing yards and two touchdowns, and led the team with 15 carries, 68 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown. Sam Scott, the running back who stepped up, seven carries, 44 rushing yards, and a touchdown, including that two-point conversion that sealed it. Backup tight end John Michael Gerlenborg was the best pass catcher of the Wyoming team with five catches, 37 yards, and a touchdown that he will remember forever. Shea Suyanoa was phenomenal with 12 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a deflection. And I also want to shout out Rook Brown, the nickel corner, who had five tackles and an interception. Just a phenomenal win for this Wyoming team that really makes their prospects for the rest of the season very high. I spent all of the offseason saying that Wyoming was the dark horse in this conference. I picked them as my runner-up in the Mountain West this year, and it looks like they may just be that good with how incredible that defense played after the first quarter, with how gutsy that offense was without their top two running backs. There's so much to be excited about in Laramie. Our second to last game, we had Idaho State Bengals coming in to play the San Diego State Aztecs, who were a 35-point favorite. The game was never really in doubt, but they really couldn't put the Bengals away. It was 20-13 to Aztecs at halftime. They had a 29-13 to third quarter lead, but it's certainly concerning how they couldn't put away an FCS team that went 1-10 last year. They also did their best Air Force impression with just 87 passing yards and 302 rushing yards. They were averaging more yards per play on the rushing end than they were on the passing end. They still had three turnovers and 14 penalties as well. A lot of stuff that San Diego State's going to need to clean up before they play UCLA this week. Jalen Maiden was 13 of 19 with 87 passing yards, and he also led the team with 132 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Martin Blake, a running back who hasn't really gotten a lot of fanfare, had 12 carries, 58 rushing yards, and a touchdown, and he also led the team with 40 receiving yards. So a big day for him. We now know that that running back room goes about four deep. And the secondary had a lot of big plays. Des Malone had four deflections and an interception. Noah Tumblin and Sedarius Barfield also had an interception each. Not a perfect result for Brady Hoke and San Diego State, but a win is a win. And our final game to recap was number 18, Oregon State, coming into Sefku Stadium to play San Jose State. The Spartans just didn't have it offensively, just 279 total yards, 2.5 yards per carry. They were down 21 to 3 at halftime, and it was never closer than three possessions. Cordero had one of his lowest offensive outputs in years with 18 of 32, 143 passing yards, and just 23 rushing yards and two fumbles. On the defensive side, they just didn't make a ton of plays. They only had one sack. DJ Uyunglele was 20 of 25 and honestly just unbothered for most of the game, and they also let up 5.6 yards per carry. San Jose State obviously played two phenomenal teams in their first two weeks, so there isn't too much to be taken away from their struggles, but you gotta hope that doesn't bleed into the rest of the season. Really hope we see Cordero and that team straighten it out for the rest of the year. Now, with all of the recaps out of the way, let's go over all the Week 2 games, starting with UCF coming to the Blue Turf to play Boise State. The Knights have one of their best rosters they've ever had under Gus Malzahn. The main components of their high-powered run attack all return quarterback John Rice Plumley and running backs RJ Harvey and Johnny Richardson also bringing back their top two receivers. They brought in three really solid transfers to help the offensive line. They're coming off a 56-point output against Kent State last week. The defense also returns a lot of production and adds transfers like DeCorian Patterson, who led the nation in 
interceptions at Middle Tennessee State. UCF will have to avoid turnovers and use play action for their big plays as Boise's secondary is clearly ripe for the picking. There's no sugarcoating it. The Broncos got walloped by Washington. They had no answer for Michael Penix Jr. And after their opening drive of the second half, they just fell apart. They just looked kind of shell-shocked. They shouldn't be that scared of UCF. They won't be making a playoff run like the dogs will, but they need to actually move the ball consistently to win this game. Talon Green has to be more accurate and assertive, and the run game needs to take center stage if they're going to knock off a very good UCF team. My prediction, I'm counting on the Broncos to rise to the occasion. Albertsons will be rocking, and the offense will have a much better day than last week. The Knights keep up offensively for the most part, but a John Rice Plumley interception down the stretch proves costly. Talon Green throws at least two touchdowns and runs for another as Boise State gets back on track. My prediction, Boise State 42, UCF 35. Next up, we have Barry Odom and UNLV going to the big house to play number two Michigan, who is a 36-point favorite. There's a reason the Wolverines are still the Big Ten favorites. They bring back so much talent from the team that lost in the semis to TCU. J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, and Donovan Edwards are all surefire draft picks in the backfield. The defense brings back stars like Chris Jenkins, Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, Will Johnson, Rod Moore, and Mike Singer still. <sighs> and for the areas where they needed to add some depth, they added some of the best players in the transfer portal. Three proven Power 5 offensive linemen, two of them from Stanford, edge rusher Josiah Stewart from Coastal Carolina, and middle linebacker Ernest Hausman from Nebraska, and one of the top corners available, UMass transfer Josh Wallace. They're loaded and are a juggernaut with or without Jim Harbaugh on the field to coach them. The Rebels are still untested after rolling through Bryant. Brumfield didn't have to get over 100 yards passing as five different players rush for at least 25 yards. It won't be that easy against Michigan. Brumfield will need to be able to escape on a dime and provide a consistent passing threat. Anything less and the Rebels don't stand a chance of pulling the upset off. The defense will have to avoid home run plays and somehow contain Corum and Edwards. Good luck to you, UNLV. You're going to need it. My prediction, the amount of talent on this Michigan sideline is just absurd. I simply don't see how the Rebels will pull this off. I think the Wolverines make it look easy in front of their home fans and light up the scoreboard as UNLV fails to keep up. My prediction, Michigan 56, UNLV 17. Next up, we have San Jose State finally not playing a ranked team. They're taking on Cal Poly. The Mustangs went 2-9 and nine last year, but are much improved. They picked up two big-time transfers in Washington quarterback Sam Huard and Utah linebacker Ethan Calvert. They'll run the air raid now under new head coach Paul Wolf, who some of you may remember as the former Washington State head coach from 2008 to 2011, and look like a different team than they were in 2022, beating San Diego 27-10 in their first game. The Spartans need to get back on track after opening the year with two drubbings against ranked opponents USC and Oregon State. The offense needs to figure out how to be more explosive. Shevin only has 341 passing yards through two games, and Nick Nash and Kwali Conley are the only weapons who have made real impacts so far. Injuries to star Kyrie Robinson and Justin Lockhart has also contributed to their slow start offensively. Hopefully the defense can force its first turnover of the year and hold a team under 40 points. The D-line was noticeably ineffective against Oregon State, so that's a group to keep an eye on going forward. My prediction, I think San Jose State finally gets into an offensive rhythm. Cordero throws for over 300 yards and several 
several touchdowns, and the defense grabs a pair of interceptions from Sam Ward to stop any Mustang momentum. Spartans roll fingers crossed because if they struggle, their stock will keep trending downwards. My prediction, San Jose State 41, Cal Poly 17. Next up, we have Portland State coming to play Wyoming, coming off of that huge win against Texas Tech. The Vikings were on the receiving end of the worst week one beating, losing to Oregon 81-7. to While Wyoming won't put up 81 points, it's going to be another real tough task for Portland State to compete. They were 4-7 and last year and are much better running the ball than passing. Not a recipe for success against the Cowboys' dominant front seven. Junior dual threat Dante Cicere will need a historic performance for the Vikings to get the win. Following their upset of the Red Raiders, it should be a little less stressful this week. They'll still be without Harrison Whaley, but the offense found a reliable option in Sam Scott. Peasley is playing the best football of his career, though he's still not 100% healthy. The defense will be tasked with stunting the Vikings' run game if they can do that. Portland State has no chance. My prediction, the Cowboys don't light it up offensively, but they are in control of the game for all 60 minutes. Sam Scott and DQ James both have long touchdown runs, and Peasley has a similar game to the last one filled with grit and great decision-making. The Vikings are forced to rely on the pass game, which doesn't make a dent in the Wyoming's defense. Pokes roll to 2-0. My prediction, Wyoming 38, Portland State 6. Next up, we have Idaho coming to play Nevada. The Vandals are not going to go down easily, coming off their first FCS playoff berth since dropping from the FBS ranks in 2018. Idaho was picked number 13 in the preseason poll. The excitement around them stems from one of the best returning offenses in in the FCS led by Jerry Rice Award winner, which goes to the best freshman in the FCS, Giovanni McCoy, and two 1,000-yard receivers. They easily beat Lamar in their season opener and will be ready for their chance at the first FCS over FBS upset of the year. Nevada was unable to stop Caleb Williams as USC cruised to a 52-point win. The offense had a couple of big plays, two of them being over 70 yards, but was nowhere near the level needed to pull off the impossible. The run game was also abysmal at 1.3 yards per carry. If the Wolfpack plays at the same level, they may very well get beat by a confident Idaho team, but if they can get Brendan Lewis in a rhythm, get a consistent run game going, and make some plays on the defensive end to disrupt the Vandals' momentum, this could be their first win of the year. My prediction, I'd expect a really close game with both teams being at similar levels. It'll all come down to Nevada's run game. If the Vandals, which are replacing multiple D-line and linebacker starters, can keep Nevada as running backs in check. They may be too efficient offensively for the Wolfpack to catch up, but if the run game is improved, it'll open up the passing game for Brendan Lewis and drain the clock, making it tougher for Idaho to get the upset. I'll trust Ken Wilson to get his guys fired up and ready. The Wolfpack wins a close one thanks to a big day from Sean Dollars. My prediction, Nevada 27, Idaho 21. Next, we have the UCLA Bruins coming to Snapdragon Stadium to play San Diego State. The Bruins are still figuring out who their QB is, whether it's Ethan Garbers or five-star Dante Moore, but they still have as much talent as anyone. Transfer additions Carson Steele from Ball State and J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal have already made their presence felt. The defense is led by future first-round pick edge rusher Layatu Latu, who had three sacks versus Coastal Carolina, but still has some growing to do in the secondary. Two games in, and the Aztecs are pretty much who we thought they would be. They are averaging 100 more rushing yards than passing yards per game and likely have no plans to change that around with four solid options at running back and Jalen Maiden leading the team with 166 rushing yards. San Diego State
State will try to shorten the game and beat UCLA in an ugly way. The defense has already forced six turnovers, and if they can eliminate the dumb penalties they've gotten in the first two games, they may be able to upset the Bruins. My prediction, the Aztecs will need to manufacture some offense from the passing game if they want any chance to win. I think they won't, however, and will try to win solely off the run game. It won't be enough as despite multiple interceptions from insert UCLA QB name here, San Diego State can't score enough early and when they're forced to pass, can't score at all. Bruins win a close one. My prediction, UCLA 27, San Diego State 20. Next up, we have Air Force visiting Sam Houston State in the Bearcats. First year as an FBS team, they opened up with a solid but scoreless effort at BYU. 14 to nothing tells you all you need to know. The defense can hold its own, but the offense will struggle. They have some talent in the receiving core, but had almost no run game to speak of against the Cougars. Elliott T. Bowers Stadium will be rocking for Sam Houston State's first home game in the FBS. The Falcons cruise to a win over Robert Morris with 10 different players getting multiple carries. At least now we know that Zach Lariat will be QB1, which he was real good in that role last week. It'll be interesting to see how the offensive distribution looks in a game where both teams have solid defenses. Will John Lee Eldridge III get more than four carries? Will they work the other two QBs in? There's still a lot of unknown about the specifics of this Air Force offense. The defense, however, will likely have another banner performance if the Bearcats' last offensive output is any indication. My prediction, Sam Houston State still can't get the offense to wake up, but their defense is again up to the task. Air Force hits a pair of home runs with John Lee Eldridge III and Zach Larrier, but can't get much more separation than that, especially with the new clock rules. This game should be over fast. My prediction, Air Force 24, Sam Houston State 3. Next, we have Tennessee Tech going to play New Mexico in Albuquerque. The Golden Eagles went 4-7 and seven last year and started this year with a 45-10 loss at Furman. They'll throw the ball more than they run it. The Lobos got dismantled by A&M, but they should fare better this time. Dylan Hopkins has to make some big plays to build up the offense's confidence for the rest of the year. My prediction, I think New Mexico gets off to a hot start finding the end zone multiple times before Tennessee Tech knows what hit them. The offense slows down as the game goes on, but the run game is much better than it was in week one. Lobos win by three possessions. My predicted final, New Mexico 31, Tennessee Tech 10. We have Idaho State coming to play Utah State in Logan. Not much was expected of the Bengals when they visited San Diego State coming off a 1-10 season. They remarkably only lost by eight points. It wasn't the prettiest 28 points, but it'll be enough to boost their confidence heading into Logan. Utah State performed admirably at Iowa after allowing two opening touchdown throws. The defense buckled down and only allowed 10 points for the rest of the game. The offense struggled against one of the best defenses in the country, but they still found the end zone with a minute left to close the gap. Lagaf played solid and should put up better numbers against a below average defense. The Aggies will need to get the run game going as the Bengals gave up more than 300 rushing yards to the Aztecs, and if the defense's performance is any indication, they should be able to win this one. My prediction, the Bengals refuse to go away, but Utah State has the game in hand for the majority of the night. Rashul Faison and Robert Briggs Jr. both have big days as the Aggies get their first win of the year, and Laga makes a few big throws when the run game stalls. My prediction, Utah State 38, Idaho State 17. Their second to last game is Eastern Washington taking on Fresno State. The Eagles started the year by getting stomped on by North Dakota State, the number two team in the 
FCS preseason poll. They threw the ball decently, but their run game was a non-factor. They went 3-8 and eight last year, but did have the best offense in the FCS yards-wise. They also had the second worst defense in the FCS, though. Following their stunning win in West Lafayette, the Bulldogs have more confidence than ever. While the defense didn't play as good as they're capable of being, they made big plays when they had to. The offense was miles ahead of where anyone could have expected. Mikey Keene looked incredible, and Eric Brooks could be one of the most dynamic players in the Mountain West. Eastern Washington will have a tough time slowing this offense down. My prediction, Fresno State keeps their offensive momentum going, putting up points with ease. The defense plays better than they did against Purdue with much less missed tackles. The Eagles can't get anything going on either side of the ball, and the Bulldogs roll to 2-0. My prediction, Fresno State 52, Eastern Washington 10. And our final game to go over, we have the Albany Great Danes coming to Hawaii to play in the TC Ching Complex. Albany is no cupcake as they started the year with an 18-point win versus Fordham and then nearly had the first FCS over FBS upset at Marshall. The Great Danes were up 10-0 at one point and had a 17-7 lead with 18 minutes to play. Two Rasheen Ali touchdown runs would thwart their efforts, but it's still obvious that they aren't going to go down without a fight. They moved through the air for the most part, and QB Reese Poffenbarger broke off a 54-yard touchdown run last week, showcasing his dual-threat abilities. The Rainbow Warriors have had two close losses to Power 5 teams, so they have nothing to hang their heads about. While the secondary hasn't improved as much as we've hoped, the rest of the defense is certainly more solid than they were last year. The offense still can't run the ball, but Braden Shager currently leads the nation in passing yards, and Pofele Ashlock has emerged as a breakout star with 240 receiving yards and three touchdowns in his first two collegiate games. Albany has been playing great, but they're still the worst defense Hawaii has played so far. My prediction, the run and shoot is on full display as Shager and co. fill up the stat sheet all game long. Ashlock and Stephen McBride continue their reign of terror on opposing secondaries, and the defense creates a few turnovers to keep the Great Danes at bay. Hawaii wins by double digits. My prediction, Hawaii 49, Albany 20. Before I let you go, we have to hand out our second ever Hikes Peak MVP of the week, and I can't decide, so we're splitting it. Eric Brooks and Andrew Peasley, come on down. Eric Brooks had 170 receiving yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner with 59 seconds to play. And of course, Andrew Peasley led the team in all rushing stats and had 149 passing yards and two touchdowns, including the legendary fourth and seven throw that'll go down in Wyoming lore. While Mikey Keene was an unknown, I definitely considered him for this award. The wide receiver room was even more of a question mark. Brooks just dominated in a way few slot receivers are capable of, and on the biggest stage, I had to show him some love and Peasley for one of the gutsiest performances you'll ever see. This was a very easy choice for me, giving it to these two wonderful players. Congrats to both of you. That's it for this episode of the Hikes Peak Podcast. Thank you so much for coming back to the mountain. Make sure to make the trek back here next Tuesday for another brand new episode where we'll break down what happened in week one and get you ready for an action-packed week two. If you enjoyed the episode, rate the show five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. Nothing helps the show out more than that, so any ratings would be greatly appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at MWC Connection and find all of your Mountain West news at mwcconnection.com. Thank you again for listening. I can already tell this college football season will have an influence
infinite amount of excitement in it. Until next time, I'm Jack Thompson. Enjoy your life.